It is good to be back here among you and to see so many of you. And I know several of you adults might want some of those worship bags that you can play with during my sermon. And there may be some extra. I don't know. Mary can find those for you. But I am thankful to be back with you today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. But before I read that to you, I invite you once again to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will. For all of us as your church, for each of us as your children, dear God, we do love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the past few weeks, I have had the habit of going over and speaking to some of our preschool students as they come in because we're not doing chapel like, I norm, like we normally do. And I've, I've gone over to see them at the, the fence of the playground just to watch them play, to wave at them so that they still recognize Mr. Brad. And it's been fun to, to watch their imaginations at work as they play. The other day I was watching a little girl. She got inside a little red car with a yellow roof on the top and she was driving to go uh, get, pick up some groceries from the grocery store. At least that's what she was pretending to do and with her little three-year-old feet she was doing pretty good in that little car that she pedaled along like the Flintstones cars that we might remember. She was pedaling along doing pretty well and then all of a sudden the wheel of that car went off the edge of the little wooden track there and I watched her. I wanted to kind of jump in there and try to help her but I watched to see how she kind of problem solved this problem. The first thing she did was she tried to back up, and of course the wheel kept hitting the side of the wood, and so she couldn't do that. Then she tried to push forward, and when she pushed forward, it just dug deeper down into the, the mulch on the side of the, the track there. She tried to wiggle it a little bit, but then she almost tipped it over. Finally, after several minutes of trying to figure out how to get the car out, she opened that little door, jumped out of the car, kicked the door closed with her little three-year-old foot, and left the car sitting right there and marched over to the swings. And my thought was, I know exactly how she feels. She felt stuck. Stuck in that moment that she couldn't fix, stuck with a problem that she couldn't fix. And I know exactly how she feels. In fact, I've probably kicked my own share of doors closed throughout my life. Stuck. We have problems that we wish we could solve and we can't solve them immediately or easily like we want them to. 
I felt stuck a little bit over the past seven months, which is why I'm so glad that we can be together in this sanctuary again today. Stuck because there have been so many things that I've wanted to do as your pastor, to, that I've been trained to do as your pastor, but I've also cared about keeping you safe and keeping you healthy, and so I've been stuck. Stuck between doing what I'm trained to do and, and stuck between trying to do things that are healthy for all of us. I've been stuck trying to, wanting to go and worship with you and sing with you, but also wanting to keep you healthy. So I've been stuck. I've been stuck in trying to do all the things like building a budget for next year or preaching and teaching like you want me to do, and, and yet I haven't been able to do that because I haven't had all the same tools that I used to use when we were all here together. Stuck. Maybe some of you have felt stuck too in the midst of not only the pandemic, but everything that's going on in our world and a world that is so polarized where everything we do is judged right or wrong by somebody and we're stuck. Stuck not knowing how to help without hurting. Stuck. Well, the good news is, is if we look throughout our history and we look throughout our faith uh, history as well, look throughout our Bible, we can see that in moments when people feel stuck, those have been moments when some of the most creative and most consequential achievements have occurred. One of those achievements, for example, is the book of Revelation. The tradition of the book of Revelation is that a man named John, who was a, a faithful Christian, was stuck on an isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, a Greek island out there. He was banished there because he had refused to tell the Roman emperor that the Roman emperor was his Lord and his God. He believed that Jesus Christ was his Lord and his God, and that's what he, who he was called to be as a disciple. And so they banished him out to this island, and as wonderful as it might sound to have a little vacation right now out on the Greek islands, this was not a vacation for John. John was stuck there, away from his church, away from his family, away from all the things that he was called to do as a Christian, as a, as a disciple. And he even lived in a cave at different times while he was there on that island. He was stuck there. And it's there on that island where he wrote this incredible book, this book that finishes our Bible, the book of Revelation, or the Apocalypse of John, as we might call it. Now, you know much has been made of the book of Revelation. There are Christians of, of different flavors and different types who have taken this book as, as some sort of code that we have to break to figure out when the end of the world is coming, to figure out when doomsday is coming. And, and I dare say many people think that's what this book is about. It's about the end of times, the, the bad things that are going to happen before the world ends. And I dare say in times when I have felt stuck, I would probably write things that were bad or frustrating or despairing. I usually use my journal at times to, to vent and write out the things that bother me. But that's not what John was doing. Here in this moment of stuckness, when he was stuck on the island of Patmos, he wrote a book of Revelation to reveal the future glory of God. The book of Revelation ultimately is about hope. Hope for the new heaven and the new earth. Hope for what the world can be, what the world will be when we follow and do what God calls us to do. Hope for what the world will be when the world becomes what God always wanted it to be. He wrote about hope. And truly, I think that's what being a Christian is ultimately all about. It is about hope, even in dark times, even in troubled times, even in times when we can't be together. Being a Christian is about hope. We remember those three from 1 Corinthians, faith, hope, and love. We have faith that gives us hope, 
that inspires us to love. We have hope, even in tough times. We are called to be hopeful, even in tough times. I've told you this story before, but uh, it was actually at Christmas a couple of years ago. It was one of my favorite stories that my, my minister, when I was growing up, Ed McLeod, told me. He was working with a, a woman in his, his congregation, a woman named Gladys, who had been fighting cancer for many years. She had been going through treatment, dealing with it, and finally she decided that the treatment just wasn't working and she was going to stop the treatment. And she called Ed and said, I want to come in and start planning my funeral. Ed was a little bit worried about her, that she was despairing, that she was worried, that she was hurt. But when she came into his office, he found a very faithful woman, a very resolute woman. She started talking about the service and how she wanted to be a service of hope, a service where people were inspired. And right at the end of the conversation, she looked at Ed and she said, Now, at the, as the visitation the night before, I want my, my body to be buried with my Bible in one hand and a fork in the other. Well, Ed looked at her and said, you know, at the visitation, if people see you with a fork in your hand, they're going to ask me, why in the world does she have a fork in her hand? And Gladys answered this way. She said, you know, at all of those church suppers I've been to, all of those family dinners that I've been to, all of those times that I've been out to fancy places, you really don't know how good the dinner's going to be until the waiter comes to take your plate away. And sometimes when the meal is really good, he will look at you and say, you can keep your fork. And when he says that, you know something good is coming. You know it's not just a little cookie or a little pudding. You know something good is coming. You know, in fact, that the best part of the meal is yet to come. I want them to see that fork in my hand, and I want you to tell them I have a fork in my hand because I know the best is yet to come. That's what we are called to believe as Christians, to look to the future without fear, but to look to the future with hope. This new heaven and this new earth that John keeps telling us about. This new heaven and this new earth that gives us hope that God will have the last word and that last word will be final and it will be the best, the best that is yet to come. And we use that hope all throughout our lives to sustain us, especially in difficult times. That's what we've been doing over the past few months. That's why we've looked at, uh, our, at our sermon series where we looked at some of those old hymns that give us strength. That they remind us of hope. Or, or every single week we pray, God, thy kingdom come, because even in tough times we look with hope to sustain us, to know that God has his hand on the future, that God has a place for us and a plan for us, that God is slowly, even in the midst of stuckness, God has a plan that God is working even now. But that hope is not just here to sustain us. That hope that the Bible gives us, that John gives us, that God gives us, is also meant to call us. It's not just about sustaining us where we can imagine what the future will be, what we can imagine what heaven will be like, but it's also meant to call us here and now. As my theology professor Shirley Guthrie once said, he said, you know, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's not just trying to describe the furniture. When the Bible talks about heaven, it's trying to describe what you and I will be like in the presence of God. That's a calling. That if we are going to take seriously what this future is supposed to be, then we are supposed to try to be like that here and now. To look for examples around us 
to see what heaven will be like through our words and our actions. And the good news is, although the book of Revelation is very allegorical and has a lot of symbols, the Gospels show us constantly in concrete ways what the new heaven and the new earth will be like and what we will be like. Jesus says the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like a father who welcomes a prodigal son home who has betrayed him. Jesus says the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like a Samaritan who picks his enemy up and carries him and cares for him while other people pass him by. Jesus says that the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like a woman who no one will cast that stone, but instead they wipe, their tears away, wipe her tears away without judging her. Jesus says that the new heaven and the new earth is going to be a place where all of us, despite of our differences, will come together and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus gives us concrete examples of what heaven is supposed to be like. And if you look for it, we can see those concrete examples around us every single day. Little glimmers, little glimpses of heaven with us right here and right now. Frederick Beekner, the great theologian, says it like this. He says, heaven was always buried there, like a treasure in all of us. The best we had it in us to become. And there were times you could almost see it. Even the least likely face asleep bore traces of it. Even in bombed out cities after nightfall, the, the public squares in shambles and moonlight slivering and the broken pavement. To speak of heavenly music or a heavenly day isn't always just to gush, but sometimes it's to catch a glimpse of something. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. You can catch a glimpse of it almost in anybody's eyes if you just choose to look at it in the right moment. One of the things that has been so helpful to me throughout this time are those moments when I have caught glimpses of heaven this past year in our church. I think back even to before the pandemic. We were worshiping together, our church, and, and at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, we were celebrating the life of Liz Peters, who had passed away. And we were gathered there, people who looked different, people who came from different races and different neighborhoods, and yet we were all there worshiping the same God, saying thank you to God for the same woman. And right there, just a little glimpse of heaven. I saw a little glimpse of heaven when we had to uh, realize we were going to have to shut down the sanctuary for a little while, and I threw my hands up not knowing how we were going to do this, and I looked at Peter's eyes, and I looked at Trinity's eyes, and they had an idea, they had a plan, they had a vision for how we could keep worshiping even now. And I saw a little glimpse. I saw a glimpse of heaven in those volunteers who came out in April to keep manna on Meridian going. We were wondering if we could keep doing that, and those volunteers said, no, we have to keep doing that even now. A little glimpse of heaven. And I saw a glimpse of heaven in August when I looked in the eyes of our teachers who were coming back to, to our preschool to keep our preschool going, knowing that these children needed a safe place to come. And I promise you I saw it in those eyes of those children when they came back on that first day. Even though they had masks on, their eyes were smiling. And I could tell a little glimpse of heaven here, a little glimpse of what heaven is supposed to be like when we care about each other, when we put ourselves and move ourselves from the center 
and move God to the center and our neighbor to the center. That faith that gives us hope, that inspires us, that calls us to love. That's when we catch those glimpses of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, as I've told you already, today is Dedication Sunday. Many of you have already turned in your pledges, and I thank you for that. But today is the day where we get, say thanks to God for what God has done, and we think about who God is calling us to be in the future. And I truly believe God is calling us to offer glimpses of the new heaven and the new earth to the people around us in need. As you consider what you want to give and offer to our church in this next year, I hope you will hear that calling to be a glimpse of heaven for someone around us in need. That someday, when someone around us is hurting and, and is stuck and they're wondering what the future holds, one of their neighbors can say, well, go and look at what First Faith Presbyterian is doing right now. Go look at what they're doing right now. And you'll get a little glimpse. Look at how they're trying to provide a safe space on their campus for people to come together. Look at how they're trying to reach out to neighbors in need. Look at how they're trying to be generous with their time and their energy and their money. And you'll see a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of what heaven might be like. And in doing that, you can show them what hopeful Christianity is all about. You can show them that even now, we have hope. And even more so, maybe by looking at how hopeful you are, then you might give them a little hope too. That's my prayer for us for next year. That's my prayer for us every year. To the glory of God. Amen.